Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. Today, I get to chat with Bill Kramer. Bill is the VP of Marketing at a very cool company called Carrot that is helping make it easier to, first of all, hire engineers. Not easy, and even easier to do so in a way that promotes equality. So two amazing focuses in a world that is highly competitive. And speaking of competitive, we hit into how to market, as he put it, when people don't want to be marketed to. How do you go after, in his case, engineers who don't love marketing, who don't love being hit with that next email or webinar that you've got to join and doing so in a more natural way. And Bill really highlights the importance of content in that process, in that natural journey that we need to create. Now, the cool part about Bill that we talk about in the first segment is that his path to where he is today really comes from a focus on product and product marketing and understanding that problem that you can solve. And as he puts it, when we can solve for people in ways that they didn't understand that they needed, we're able to market to them without them even realizing. This is a great episode. Can't wait for you to hear my chat now with Bill Kramer. Bill, thanks so much for stopping in. I am excited to chat about your career journey, one that starts with product and now you're helping, I guess, put engineers in sight and seats to build product, but we'll we'll get through that. Tell us a little bit about how you landed as a VP of marketing at Carrot. Thanks, Randy. Uh, thanks for having me, by the way. This is, this is fun. How did I land at Carrot? Uh, I was happily ensconced at Microsoft and the recruiter from Carrot reached out to me and it was one of these things where when I heard the pitch, I could not get out of my mind what Carrot did. They, we, we saw the problem that I had no idea existed. I couldn't help but think, well, it, it should have always been done this way and every company should be doing it this way. So I was intrigued. Uh, and then I met with the CEO. Uh, Mobende, who's uh, just a very charismatic and persuasive guy and, and the energy that he brought uh, just kind of really sold me. I, uh, I wanted to be a part of that journey throughout the rest of my interview experience. It's just the nicest group of people that I've ever worked with. Uh, and so we get to solve an important problem, make a difference in people's lives. And and uh, I couldn't say no. That's amazing. Well, you've already teased what Carrot does. And this this podcast is no by no means about Carrot or the problems you solve. But Carrot uh, you know, is about making interviews a more fair process, specifically around hiring engineers, which so many companies are obviously, you know, troubled with, you know, in general, let alone making it a fair process. I would argue that making a fair process may solve our problems of finding engineers. Uh, yes. Yeah. You know, sometimes yes. have blinders on probably. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, there's a bias, there's pedigree bias, there's, you know, reference bias, there's just the fact that the way that people have hired historically for, you know, for engineers, but for anything else really kind of ignores a great swath of qualified uh, candidates. And you can have 
someone interview that one person thinks is, you know, the cat's pajamas and the other person says, no, it's a pass because they're not using a structured rubric, right? They're not evaluating the same competencies in the same way, or they haven't even agreed on what those competencies are that that are critical to do the job. For us to be able to come in with, you know, competencies that are well-defined, a rubric that is well-defined and predictive, we can identify the best talent. We kind of, you know, eliminate false positives and false negatives. Uh, and importantly, we return all the developer time back to the hiring companies, right? Because the way that they've been doing it is their engineers interview the engineering candidates. So one, their team, you know, it's not their day job. They don't know how to interview very well. Two, they they don't like it. They'd rather be, you know, coding. And three, they can only interview like when they have availability. So we've got a global network of, you know, experienced technologists, experienced software developers who are also trained interviewers. So we can interview 24-7. So we speed up the hiring process, which is critical right now, right? It's like there's such a a war for talent, but importantly, like we can return productivity back to um, hiring companies. So it's it's kind of a it's a win-win all around. Well I, I will say aside from the the intrigue of what the solution does, the product part of you was shining through that answer, right? It's very clear that you're <laughs> you're passionate about product, passionate about the problem that, that you're trying to solve. And you know, there's a couple of things as, as we've already chatted for the first maybe five minutes or so here that I'm curious about. And I think a lot of people are because you, you dropped hints at it. First off, this is your first, as I see, you know, owning marketing from end to end. But you're you're coming from two interesting paths in my mind. One, we just said product, which we'll hit on. But the other, we got to hit right off the bat. Like you were at Microsoft, as you said, comfortably at right. Microsoft. What was it? about Microsoft that was appealing to you. And at the same time, this charismatic leader, what was it about going and grabbing someone from Microsoft that said to him, I'm gonna take this person to scale my company? Two very related questions. At first, for me, like I've had colleagues, friends and colleagues that have, you know, done time at Microsoft, if you will, over the years. And I've been recruited in in the past. Uh, during the Balmer years, I was not interested uh, because of the the culture and some of the horror stories that I had heard from my friends there. When Satya Nadella took over and just really transformed uh, the company from like at, at the core foundation. I was intrigued. I said, maybe this is the time. So when I interviewed, I was basically interviewing on, hey, is this cultural transformation real? Um, and unanimously, everyone said it's a different organization under Satya. Um, it's really great and dynamic. So I said, okay, well, I'll join Microsoft now and, and you know, have that experience. Um, and it was a wonderful experience, really smart uh, people, very high energy, very driven. Now, the second part of your question, so Mo had also been at Microsoft. Um, he was running a global team at Xbox. And actually, uh, you know, that's how he came to with his co-founder, Jeff Spector, to create Carrot, because he had the same problem that we're solving, right? He had, There was an, a new initiative spinning up. He had to hire hundreds of engineers as fast as he could, um, and so felt that pain and kind of, you know, created the solution. So knowing that I had been at Microsoft and, you know, kind of there was a little bit of trust there, but also because of my product marketing background, we didn't have product marketing in the function. It was a skill set that we needed. So 
they were intentionally looking for a marketing leader that had product marketing chops. And so, I, you know, I fit the bill. It, it all seems to have fallen in place in that way. Yet, if, if someone were to look at, at your resume as an example, sometimes we got to piece these things together. But it, it is that that journey that we take that ultimately makes sense at some point. And, and you hit on an interesting element there. You know, when I look back at some of the stops that you've had more recently, it's product marketing. And as you said, yeah. Mo, your leader is looking for a product marketer. You're a fit there. But how did you make that jump from the product side, more product management to product marketing, which are, it's a line that's different in every company. That's where, right. did, where did you personally realize that you wanted to make that leap because now that you're, you know, that VP of marketing, you're, you're going that CMO route versus the CPO route. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny, Randy. It's like, uh, it was a bit of a detour for me. It was like an unexpected decade plus in product management. My first gig in marketing or in tech, I should say, was weird. I had no technical background um, and I was friends with somebody who worked at Epicor Software. Then it was called Platinum Software. It was, um, you know, a small, rapidly growing accounting software company. Later became Big ERP. But he took a flyer on me, said, "Let me hire you as a UI designer." Right? I had no tech background at all. In my first week on the job, I'm like, they're teaching me how to use their proprietary tool set and expecting me to write code, right? So it was a jarring kind of fish out of water uh, experience. But from there into product management and into product marketing, the guy who hired me, Mike Pennell, was my my first boss and my mentor, a big part of my journey, ran the product marketing team. And so I did time in product marketing. That was really my first, in that first company, I spent most of my time in product marketing. And that was my first love. And, and really, I thought early in my career, I said, I want to run a marketing team one day, right? I intentionally went and I, I got a gig in pre-sales at another company because I, I needed to hold a bag, right, to understand sales and be credible as a marketing leader one day. And I was at a company with Mike. Uh, I was not reporting to, uh, to him, but he had introduced me to this company, right? He knew that I wanted to get into sales. So I met with the sales leader. I got the, the sales gig. I'm doing it. But because I had that product management, product marketing background, they had a real gap. So I stepped in to fill the role in product management and then woke up a decade later. And I was, <laughs> I was like, wait, I've been doing this for, you know, for too long. Um, I need to get back to, you know, marketing was my, my first love. So I had the opportunity at one role to broaden my remit so that I was doing product management and marketing and pre-sales. And that was kind of my, you know, the first off-ramp off of the, the product management uh, journey and back into to my marketing journey. That's interesting. I, you know, as, as you talk about covering your bases from a product perspective and a sales perspective, how do you fill that gap that I think a lot of marketers struggle if they've taken a path like yours around the demand components? You know, I mean, it's one thing to build a great product and have pull in the market because of that product is so fantastic. And it's another thing to have great salespeople who you put in front. But how do you create those opportunities and, and where does your motivation to do so or expertise kind of come from today? 
It's an interesting question, Randy, because demand gen for us is a little bit unusual in that like our buyer is an engineer, right? Engineering leaders and software engineers notoriously and rightfully despise marketing, right? They don't want to be marketed to, they cannot be marketed to. So you need a different approach. Uh, and our approach is, um, you know, to use content and thought leadership uh, to just put our point of view and our data and our insights in front of you know these prospects and let them make their own decision on whether and if they want to engage. So we don't do a lot of like traditional demand gen. We have a, an account-based you know marketing go-to-market model. So we've got our our target accounts and my team's job is to you know, create experiences for these target accounts that introduce them to Carrot, make them aware of our uh, brand, have them engage and begin to trust us uh, so that, you know, we can, you know, warm them up for the sales team to to do their thing. It's a, it's a very, you know, sales driven. So, you know. That, that's great. So, Bill, I, I'm yeah. going to hold you there because everything yeah. you're hitting on, you're teeing up our second segment here. We're going to take a short break here on the marketer's journey with Bill Kramer. We're going to dig in a little deeper to this mindset of how do we pair content, as you said, with ABM to create a more natural journey where these engineers, in your case, are self-guiding right after this break. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. One of the things that Bill just hit on there is how he broadened his focus as a marketer by filling gaps. If you look at his resume to you, it may call out someone who's been overly focused on product and product marketing. That may be our title, but there's always an opportunity, whatever role we're in, to put up our hand and learn. I was sitting with my marketing team at a recent offsite. Yes, we got together now that the pandemic feels a little safer. And I remember one of our marketing operations individuals on our team really saying, I wanna help teach marketing ops to someone else. And the customer marketer put up their hand and said, I wanna learn that stuff. It's those opportunities for teams to learn from each other that we need to embrace. And ultimately that's gonna make the next set of amazing marketing leaders to come. We are back here on the marketer's journey with Bill. And Bill, you were just teeing up our second segment. So I, I stopped you there. But you know, just to <laughs> recap, for a minute, we were talking about the challenge of getting in front of people who don't want to be marketed to, which is many cases with businesses, but doing so in a natural way with content. And in your case, you're taking an ABM strategy. So you know, we just threw a lot of buzzwords, but people know this idea right. of one-to-one -one marketing with a buyer journey that just feels built for you. 
So help me understand, first off, when people don't want to be marketed to, what channels are you actually using to get in front of these buyers? Well, one of them certainly is just organic, you know, inbound, right? Um, to pay attention in our website and our digital presence to making sure that we understand the the search terms that people are using to, you know, solve their problem or research the problem and make sure that we show up and they find us organically. Um, that's one. The biggest part of our, our go-to-market strategy or demand gen is to just be where they are already. And our buyers do uh, attend a lot of, um, you know, technology-related events, right? You've got to stay up on the latest trends um, in technology, in, you know, workforce management as relates to, um, to technology. We participate in a lot of events. They've all been virtual since uh, since I joined, or I, I joined the company right at the start of the pandemic, so we ha we haven't had any physical events, but we have a lot of presence at you know digital events that is very effective for us. That's how we get found, um, and we develop you know very quickly you know trust and respect as a thought leader uh, in the space. We have you know our engineering uh, leaders. Uh, speaking at these events so they can speak authentically to the problems that we solve and, and some of these best practices. So so that's interesting. And, and uh, many marketers can relate to what you're talking about with the reality that we've had to scratch our in-person event strategy. And you know, we think about content at these events and it's either the keynote as you already hit on or a pamphlet that we're handing out at our booth or getting their emails so that we can you know, scan them and, and later nurture them with some really high value content. What are some of the content assets that you're able to follow up with? And again, what what follow up methods do you use and what content do you find you know, that compels the audience in this virtual setting? Because I think that's the part we're all struggling with is how do we get them beyond the session we may have sponsored? Mm -hmm. Well, it's for us, it's our data. In our business, we have conducted you know over 120,000 interviews. So we've we've got this you know unparalleled sort of rich data set on how people can hire effectively. There are so many different angles, different um, pieces of data, and because our audience loves to consume data, um, those work very well for us. So whether that's a blog post or a, a brief report using our data to show them insights or get th getting them to think differently about how they can solve the problem. Those work very effectively for us. And then of course, like as with all marketers, you know, show them somebody who looks like them that you've solved the problem for, right? So case studies are, are, are a big part of that as well. Gotcha. And I'm just curious, just to dig a little bit into the weeds. So you go to these virtual events, you've either sponsored, I assume, or you've earned a speaking spot. How do you how do you get that consent these days to do that follow up to provide that data? Is it getting them to opt in to follow you because you present that data as part of the keynote, or is there is there a way that you've managed to create an ongoing dialogue? A great question. Um, it's a little bit of both. You know, we'll get opt ins, of course, from um, from the conferences, but uh, we'll also use you know a content experience to uh, serve up. Uh, content. So, you know, we're, we've got with our ABM stack, we can do personalization. So we have, you know, microsites and you know, content experiences that are tailored to usually to segments 
occasionally to individual uh, accounts to you know serve them up the next logical sort of piece in hopefully their journey, right? The journey that we think that they're on, not the journey necessarily that we want them to be on because they, they rarely match. And we give a lot of it away. My strategy is a little bit, you know, different. I, I gate as little as possible. I'll, I'll just let them consume. So I'm not tracking them. There's a lot of stuff that a lot of engagement with carrot content that we're not tracking at all. It will show up later when they engage, you know, and we begin to track them on our journey and we can understand uh, a little bit about, you know, what brought them there or, or turn them from an anonymous visitor into someone we've identified and then be able to, to track that attribution and see what's working. But, I'm, you know, I'm lucky my, my CEO trusts the marketing team, trusts that we're in the long game to build the brand and build value. And so I'm not gold on like, hey, how many, you know, email addresses did you capture, right? Because that's a meaningless metric for us. Absolutely. And and I'm just curious as, as we, we talk about the importance of data, and, and we've talked so far a lot about the inbound mentality, how do you generate that that pipeline to begin with? But what role has content played as you think about moving these opportunities through the funnel? working with your sales team, arming them to build these content experiences you speak of? Yeah, for for us, the, the main goal of the content is to build trust. One of the pillars of our brand is that we are an expert in solving this problem. And so we want to demonstrate to people that we do have um, the expertise. The second is to kind of make them aware of Similar to my experience that, hey, when I heard about Carrot, I didn't realize that there was even a problem to be solved. And so a lot of companies, they've been doing it the same way for for decades. It's just like you interview in-house and that's the way you've always done it. So making them aware that they have this pain, right, and showing them the urgency of the pain to accelerate them down the pipeline. That's sort of a second class of, of content that is um, designed to do that, right? That, oh, wow, I didn't realize I was on fire. Thanks for telling me I'm on fire. Can you help put it out? Gotcha. No, that's that's definitely the right mindset here. Uh, Bill, we're going to keep this conversation going. We're going to take another short break here. Then I'm going to hit you with some rapid fire questions. Uh, you know, No doubt you've had no shortage of them skill in the team. I, I know the team has doubled from 80 to 160 and the marketing team is almost tripled already and, and gonna you know, go go from four to 20 in, in just a couple of years, which is just wild. So lots we can learn from you right after this short break. One of the aspects of Bill's answers here is really realizing the way we market has to change. It either has changed or it's going to change. And that's either because of the pandemic or just the realities of what we're talking about here. Not everyone wants to be marketed to, and now they have choices, especially when they are virtual or remote. It's different when we bring them by our booth in an event and we scan their tag, and now they've opted in in a way that they didn't even realize. Now people really need to put their hands up online. and as Bill talks about in our conversation, we gotta move away from gates. We need to make an experience that people wanna opt into. 
one that they want to follow. You need to be that thought leader that they come to for opinions, for guidance, not just because your product's great, but because you understand how to solve their problems. Welcome back to the marketer's journey. It is time for some rapid fire questions. First one for you, Bill, is are you ready? <laughs> okay, I guess I am. Let's, all right, let's go let's for do it. This. All right. The first one I like to ask all, all marketing leaders these days is, you know, if you were speaking to someone, you know, starting their career, or looking to climb to the level you've managed to accomplish, would you guide them to go more the generalist or specialist route? I mean, in, you know, we talked today, you really came through this product management, product marketing route and, and had that lens of, you know, relating to the customer. How would you guide the marketer who's looking to get into your seat? Wow. Um, I would say product marketing because it's at the center of everything else that, you know, the function is going to do. When you understand the role of that, then you understand how all the pieces on a marketing function work together. So I would start there, but at, at the same time, learn everything, right? And that's that's been the, the biggest piece of my career is I, I never stop learning. So I'm always picking up new stuff, whether or not it relates to what I'm doing today, it all comes in handy down the road. That's great advice. All right, next one for you, keeping this quick. What's one thing you just generally wish marketers would do a little bit more of? Wow. Um, I wish that we would think about the customer rather than ourselves and what we want. Think about what the customer wants and how we can solve their problem in a way that is differentiated. We do too much inside out versus outside in. Love that. Definitely the product marketer and you speaking there. All right. We, we spoke a little bit about the role of content. When you think about a great content marketing execution or campaign, what's a few concepts or words that come to mind? Integrated, number one, personalized uh, and relevant and on brand. You got to have those four things working together. I love that. Yeah, definitely so true on, on all of those. Uh, I'll even let the fourth one that you slid in there, you know, fly because relevant and personalized are just two different ways to think about it. And uh, I couldn't agree more. This this mindset. Sometimes we get caught up that personalized content needs to be custom made for each buyer versus the relevancy is really the personalization. Same way we get on Spotify. Uh, all right, another one for you here, and, and we're gonna lean in a little on on your focus with this one. So. The idea that you know marketers are all focused on driving demand through thought leadership, which we talked about today. What role do you think products should have in our content strategy? You know, we we think a lot about leading with data, as you said, versus at what stage can we start to weave in our product to that content marketing? I think it, you know, like a lot of things, the answer is it depends. It depends on the nature uh, of the product or products that you're offering um, and you know, what at what point introducing them makes sense in the journey that you're trying to, to curate for uh, for your prospects. Uh, but there's also the, the flip side, which is product can play a role by listening to the voice of the customer that we bring in through these campaigns and adapting you know, the product to, uh, to better fit the customer needs. That's really well said. All right, I got one last, this one's a softball, but you know, these days it's been hard <laughs> to think this way. 
We've talked we've talked a little bit about your career journey, the buyer journey, and the role of content within there. What about from a personal journey perspective? How do you break from work and Specifically, where, where are you hoping to go next on a big vacation? Right. How can you have a personal journey when you can't personally journey anywhere? Um, yeah. we're, we're hoping, we're hoping, I have a, a son who just turned six this week, and as a birthday present, we're going to take him to Legoland. Uh, so that's coming up early October. That'll be the next journey, and, and I'm as excited about it as he is, if not more so. <laughs> I don't even know where is Legoland. Like, I, I mean, it sounds like it's a city of its own, but. Right. Yeah, it, it is. It's a universe. Uh, it's in Carlsbad in California. So between Orange County and San Diego. Amazing. Amazing. That sounds like a, like a ton of fun. Uh, this entire episode has been great and fun, Bill. I think a lot of people listening in learned a lot from you and, and the path you've taken and the journey you've taken is unique as is everyone's. And I hope people tuning in check in to some of the other stories that have been told by great marketing leaders. And hopefully people listening will be on here themselves sharing their journey one day. Until next time, I thank you for finding us. Whether it's on Spotify, on iTunes, on Google, wherever you may be finding your podcast, tune in, leave us a review. Until next time, this is The Marketer's Journey. You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify at uberflip.com slash podcast or anywhere you listen to podcasts.